Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello, we're your Marketers in Motion podcast hosts. I'm Josh Janowiak. And I'm Megan Pear. Today, we talk SEO in the form of our ever-popular SEO Smackdown panel, which kicked off our 2019-2020 Signature Lunch series. This being version 3.0, and the fact that 1.0 and 2.0 were before my time at AMA West Michigan. Megan, why don't you fill us in a little bit on the history and the details of the first two installments and tantalize us with what we're in store for from uh, today's panel. Yeah, so this has historically been one of our most popular events, one of our most well-attended events, uh, because it talks about one of the kind of hottest topics in marketing and one that is ever-changing, which is SEO. And so we kind of conceptualized the SmackDown theme, uh, you know, a couple years ago when we we first started with the 1.0 version. Um, And it was bringing in a panel of SEO experts to kind of share their work um, in the SEO space, what was hot, what they were seeing, um, trying to understand the trends. And the SmackDown portion came in because obviously everybody has different perspectives um, on SEO. Uh, And so kind of having that friendly debate between the different panelists. And so we've seen this from version 1.0, 2.0, and now 3.0. I think, you know, it's exciting to see all the the changes. Uh, We're going to see that with the panel today, you know, talking about the impact of voice search, algorithm changes, how you update Google My Business, how you optimize your site, all those great things with SEO um, that, again, change so quickly. You're going to hear that from the panelists and what we should be really focusing on. Awesome. Along with some uh, SEO hacks. But uh, yeah. before we get into that real quick, we are into season two. I know. I can't believe it. Can of the you? Marketers in Motion podcast. I know. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats to you. Well, you too. I mean, it was your brainchild. We made it happen. <laughs> we got through our first season. And it's exciting this year because the podcast parallels our signature lunch series. It and does. we do lunches every month. And last year, we were kind of all over the map because we were backtracking on some some of the earlier speakers that we wanted to get on the podcast. So we got everybody from that first season in. So this season, every couple of weeks after our lunch podcast, if we can keep everything on schedule, we'll be having these come out in a more timely manner and it'll be great for uh, promoting everything that we have going on this season. So Megan, let's talk about, we have a theme every year and the theme this year is what's next. What's next? What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a perfect theme for marketers now. We're kind of in this space with marketing where a lot of things are happening, especially with marketing technology. Um, So a lot of emerging tech is coming out, a lot of emerging practices and tools and all of that. So the what next theme is every luncheon that we do, every topic we talk about, we're asking our speakers to really focus on those emerging trends. So 2019 and beyond, what does the future look like? What do marketers need to have, you know, the pulse on? What do do we really need to know? And so I think this is going to be a really exciting year. Uh, a lot of good information. And I'm excited again for the podcast because 
this is a great way for us to get a, a deeper dive with our speakers and to have them on after our luncheon or for individuals who can't make the luncheon. So it's going to be a good year. Well, and to have that information on demand for people to go back to, yeah. to touch on, because you learn the stuff, you get excited, you get back into the real world, you forget about those concepts and you can come back and, and again, get a refresher on it. So. Absolutely. And some of the stuff, I mean, even like the SEO Smackdown, which you'll hear today, is very technical. So to have it on a podcast where you can stop it, write some notes down, follow through on things, uh, it's going to be really helpful for marketers. Yeah, I love it. So we start out with the SEO Smackdown in September, which is what we're having today. Mm -hmm. Our season goes through May, but we're going to keep that programming going on in the summer as well. But let's talk about uh, up next in October. Yeah, so October 8th, uh, we've got our favorite. Michael Barber's coming back. He's coming back to Michigan to join us to talk about, uh, you know, all things kind of privacy, email list building, email marketing. You know, Michael is fantastic at that. This is his wheelhouse in his space. And uh, so he's going to provide some great insights there. November 5th, uh, we've got a great speaker coming in to talk about content marketing. So we know this is a hot topic right now. Uh, lots happening in the content space. So he's going to talk about some emerging trends there. In December, December 10th, um, we are, this is a first for us, um, but again, we, we really looked at our member feedback um, and tried to design our programming around what our members wanted. Uh, we're going to talk about e-commerce marketing and user experience. So again, this is going to be a great one for the B2C marketers, um, but also for B2B as well. Uh, but a, a good new space for us to talk about what's happening in e-commerce. Um, January 14th, uh, for all of our nonprofit marketers in the AMA world, uh, we're going to be doing a, a special on nonprofit marketing. February 11th, uh, we are bringing in another panel to talk about multimedia marketing. So we'll talk about podcasting. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about video marketing, webinars, all those things that kind of go into that multimedia space. Uh, in March, we're going to talk about HR recruitment marketing. Uh, we've seen this kind of come on the scene more and more. Obviously, it's a super hot talent market, and so marketers are being brought in uh, by you know CEOs and the HR teams to help kind of promote uh, and market uh, you know for recruitment. And then April, April 14th, we're going to bring back um, another popular topic of ours, and we're going to be talking about social media, um, but taking that a little step further of, of really what's next in social media, so some of the emerging trends that we're seeing there. And then capping it off May 12th, um, our season ending, uh, we're going to be talking about one of my favorites, which is marketing analytics and really how to measure what truly matters. Okay, we're just about to get into the SmackDown, but before we do that, we really need to thank our sponsors because they make all of this programming and everything that we do possible. So give a shout out to our big sponsors that are, are with us on this event and this podcast. Yeah, so I wanna start with uh, a thank you to OSD who came in and uh, sponsored this particular luncheon for us uh, and for having one of their uh, mem team members, David, on our panel to talk about SEO. So we're really grateful for their support. Um, for our gold sponsors for this year, MI Biz and BizCom Media, um, and just for their continued annual support year after year. Um, our silver sponsors, Bird and Bird Studio, they do a great job of capturing all of our events um, and PageWorks and Red 66 Marketing. So thank you to them as well. And then our bronze sponsors, Arful Attention, and of course, GVSU Conference and Event Planning. So again, we could not do what we do without our sponsors. So we thank them very much. 
And again, it's very important if you love the content that we bring to you, support the sponsors that support us because that's really what it's all mm -hmm. about. And, and also remember on the national level, American Marketing Week, look in your market for what's going on. If you're not here in West Michigan, I know a lot of AMA chapters are gonna be doing events and uh, you know you can join and we'd love for you to be a member. Um, sign on to be you know a member here on the local level or anywhere national. You can go on to our website, amawestmichigan.org. You can also go onto the national AMA website to get plugged in at a local organization near you. But the whole point of the Marketing Marketers in Motion podcast and what we do is is to network, is mm -hmm. to be inspired, is to get that, you know, get with the like-minded people, get your curiosity out there and to just go the extra mile. So very excited about keeping that going through the podcast this year. All right, Megan, I think uh, we're ready to get into the SEO SmackDown so. 3.0. Are you? I am ready. I'm okay. ready for all this good content. Let's do this. We're going to send it over to our AMA West Michigan president and panel moderator for the SEO SmackDown 3.0. I want to welcome our panelists to the SEO Smackdown 3.0. Um, very excited for this talented group and want to thank first Jason Dodge, uh, owner of Black Truck Media and Marketing um, and lover of all things SEO, SEM. He helped us select um, our panelists today as well. So thank you, Jason. Uh, Kaylee Mosca is, we have two Kayleys, one with two Ys and one with one. So this will be fun. Uh, Kaylee Mosca, though. <laughs> Um, she has 14 years of SEO experience in B2B and B2C markets. Um, she is with CDK Global, and she drove over this morning. She, she'll uh, tell a little bit more about her experience, but we thank her for being here. Kaylee Atkinson uh, is currently with the Stowe Company. Well, she's with the Stowe Company, not like you're going anywhere, <laughs> um, in Holland as a digital marketing specialist. Um, she's the one with one Y. And then Dave Vanderwaa, who also joins us here from OST, who is also our luncheon sponsor. So thank you to OST. Um, we'll let you guys go ahead, uh, ladies first. We'll just start here and work our way down. Um, introduce yourself, a little bit about your experience um, in overall web marketing, how you got into it, and what do you like most? Nice to meet you all. I drove over from Detroit. I am the Earned Media Product Manager at CDK Global. We um, manage end-to-end -end automotive commerce, and I sit on the digital agency team. So my role specifically is defining the SEO tools that go into CDK's thousands of dealer websites, as well as defining the service levels that get applied at the managed SEO, social media management, RepMan, and conversion rate optimization side of the house. I'm Jason Dodge. I'm the founder of Black Truck Media Marketing. We're based right here in Grand Rapids, so we are a, a kind of end-to-end search engine marketing firm. Uh, we sit on both sides, organic search, so SEO, as well as the paid media site, SEM, which is inclusive of you know, paid search, display, remarketing, retargeting, paid social efforts as well. Um, my background goes back to 17 years in the industry, so uh, definitely uh, have seen a lot of changes in that time. Uh, my role as founder and chief strategist at, uh, at Black Truck is just really, quite frankly, making sure everybody has what they need. Uh, and then I like to say, get out of their way so they can do their jobs. So, yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is Kaylee Atkinson. Um, like I said, I'm the digital marketing specialist over at the Stowe Company. Um, I am responsible for managing a lot of the acquisition that goes into um, our multiple brand sites. We've got a dealer network. Um, e-commerce network and a couple of retail divisions. So I manage both the paid media side of things as well as helping with the um, SEO strategies that we maintain. Hi, I'm Dave Vandewa. Um I have a 
history in uh, academia and English. I taught, taught high school for about five years and taught college for about five years, which is kind of how I got started in SEO with content marketing. Um, then I got certified in SEO uh, from UC Davis. That was back in 2016. And I've been working at an agency for the last five years or so. Um, and I just made the transition over to uh, OST to work on their internal marketing department. So kind of getting to see the other side of, uh, of, of, of SEO work. Great. Well, I have a lot of prepared questions, but if you have specific questions, please, um, I'll give you plenty of opportunity to ask. But first and foremost, um, we want to start with, since our theme of this year is what's next in marketing, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in some of the websites that you, that you manage um, and just overall? So YMYL, Your Money, Your Life, uh, if anybody follows any algorithm updates uh, that Google rolls out within the past year, that's kind of the biggest one. So to, to break down what YMYL is, if you think of it as anything that has a life-changing event to it that relates to your money or your life. So financial, so mortgages, calculations and things of that nature, financial-driven insurance, healthcare, uh, nutrition, that type of stuff. Anything that leads you down that path. Um, ultimately, what Google did was made a big correction last year that said, if you're leading them down that path to ultimately convert them or get them to buy something, we don't really care for that. So that was like the biggest algorithm change that, that Google made last year. They've since corrected that in May of June this time. So I think there's yet to be determined what's going to shake out of that. Um, and we can totally talk about on-SERP SEO and schema and technical side. But I think that's, that's the biggest thing if we were to look forward facing is that just kind of remember that Google is inherently lazy. They don't want to crawl your entire site. So if you make it difficult for them to crawl it, they're going to, I don't want to say ignore it, but... They're going to move past it very quickly, so you want to make it as, as quick and efficient as possible to, to crawl it because that's, that's going to be one of the biggest benefits you can have. So from what we've seen, structured data has been one of the primary driving forces in our ability to overtake the SERP results. Um, we've been continuing to iterate on the structured data that we're introducing into our sites. I think one of the things that's been interesting to us is as you utilize the structured data testing tools, um, seeing the way that Google is interpreting what schema.org has put together, right? So warnings that didn't exist last week are starting to pop up, and there's an opportunity for us to define what structured data should be moving forward. It's really hierarchical right now, um, and if you are in a manufactured product area or if you're selling consumer goods, um, it can really influence the way that your goods show up um, for product categories, reviews on your websites. There's a lot of opportunity there to get stars into the SERPs. And as we look at the way it influences the search results, especially within position zero um, or the consumer experience within the SERP that might keep them outside of your website that people might not be considering, I think structured data is one of the primary driving factors towards that, that there's still opportunity um, above your competitors in the marketplace. So I'll take the voice search portion of everything. Um, <laughs> so um, I think in the past couple of months, I've really realized voice search, um, it, it's going to be huge. Everybody's got an Alexa, a Google Home, something like that in their house, um, Siri on their phone. So they're doing searches outside of a Google Chrome search bar. So the idea that the content on your site, not being able to get the people from a search to your website, I think is gonna be huge moving forward. Um, if you don't have what people are looking for and you're not gonna show up in those results, I mean, I think it's gonna be detrimental in the, in the short term and long term, so. 
two things. One of them uh, is sort of on the, the gray hat sort of SEO <laughs> side. Um, I've seen a lot of places trying to incorporate like lots and lots of H1s, just ignoring the, the point of heading tags altogether and uh, you know jamming their, their posts full of uh, H1s, which may, again, be kind of an interesting short-term uh, gain tactic, but in the long term will probably get filtered out uh, by Google. Um, so that's kind of an interesting one. And then I think the other one that I've seen is just, uh, that I'm, I guess, surprised by, and I'm sure all of, all of us are, is just how many people get the basics wrong. Uh, to me, I feel like every site I look at, you, you, you know, the title tag for the homepage says home, and you know, you kind of worry about that a little bit because uh, you see a lot of places not really just getting the basics right. And there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, just for people to kind of get on board with SEO in the first place. How many people have a site that home is in the title bar? Okay. Oh, you brave souls. I bet you won't after today. <laughs> um, exactly. So on that note, um, and I, you know, I'm involved in this a little bit, but let's go. Can we start with some of the basics that people should do? You mentioned H1s and, and you should only have one per page, right? Um, but I want to make sure that people know why and what those foundational elements are. And then we can get into maybe a little terminology like, is everyone familiar with the word SERP? The acronym SERP is? Nope. Okay. So a SERP is the search engine result page. Position, what page? Search engine result page, SERP. See, I learned new too. Um, so let's go over some of just the foundational elements for those that you know still say home or aren't really sure like between the styling and font size of an H1 or H2, like why are they there? Yeah, I think that's the thing that a lot of people get tripped up on because they use the headings, uh, the heading tags as a style shortcut and not as an SEO, like a tool for SEO and an and a indication of informational hierarchy. So uh, your title tag is what you see in Google results um, and it shows up in your tab in your browser. Um, that's what a title tag is. Um, it's really important. Uh, one of the most important things for, for SEO rankings. Um, your meta description also shows up in Google results, that's gonna show up right below your URL. Um, it's not a ranking factor, but it is a real huge factor for conversions. Um, make sure you have something enticing in your meta description to get people to click through. Um, and then on page, you have your H1, which is your page title. So that's what shows up on the page itself. Not People get that confused too, the title tag and the H1. Um, and then H2 and down shows information hierarchy. So those are heading tags. Um, and then they say, okay, H2s are important. H3s are a little less important, but they're, but they're important. H4s are even less important than H3s. But, and then that sort of reveals the informational hierarchy to both readers, uh, which is where the style comes in, but also to, to search engines to say, okay, what's the most valuable content on this page or what's the most important content on this page? Um, and those are sort of the, the most high level, and I'm sure um, everybody has their, their pet SEO project on the page, too. So, Yeah, so I think um, another important thing to consider is, like we were talking about, the crawlability of your site. Um, if there are broken paths or broken links that can't be followed through, you're creating a pretty bad experience for the search engines. So utilizing tools where you can identify 404 errors and get them redirected, um, most platforms have built-in tools so that you can do that pretty easily. And then making sure you've got important pages linked in your navigation or linked to from a page that is linked in your navigation. Just to make it more easy for Google to understand the hierarchy of your site, crawl it, and then start recognizing that really important on-page content is equally valuable, I think. Those broken links are bad for users, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, so to build to build off of the user side of it, right? The human-centered SEO approach really is. If, think of this. So forget forget styles for a minute. Forget H1s and and all the way down to H4s of what Dave was talking about. And I want you to think about just content in general. Ask yourself: Do we talk about the products and services that we actually sell or want to be known for? If the answer is no, then you should start there and just create content around what it is that you do. I can tell you after years of doing this, how many times in conversations I've been in, in into meetings where it's a simple fact of you're not talking about what it is that you do, or you're not talking about it in the way in which people are searching for it or, or need to read it or that Google needs to read it. Um, I think the other side too, to, to add to your point as well on the hierarchy, um, I guess a general rule of thumb in our office is um, like, just you have to kind of consider that most people online are uh, maybe not as educated as you think they are, and you're you're making some assumptions. So I would go as far as saying that our statement is most people are stupid online. So you need to be very blatant and upfront about what it is that I'm clicking on because people don't know. Not to mention the majority of traffic nowadays is here on your mobile device. So if I don't make it easy to find, I don't make it easy to navigate to, and you don't call it out, as a user, I have zero clue what that is. So it doesn't even matter what you're writing doesn't even matter how fast it is if I don't know what it is. So think about those as basics, too. Not all stupid. We just don't read it all, right? I said, I said, right. There you go. We just don't read it all. <laughs> More lazy, I think. Yeah, exactly. I scanned it. I still can't find the answer. It's right here. We know. We've all had, we've all had those web visitors, right? We've done it. Both of my things have to play off of both Jason and Dave here. Um, I think that it's super important, one, just not having, you know, updating your title tag to say home, but doing things like making all of your title tags different um, is going to be huge. Calling out what the page is about, not just maybe a certain product or something like that. The other is kind of to your point about the content, do your customer research. Figure out what they are searching for, what they want to see, because if you don't have the content that they want to read and they're just leaving your site and are unfulfilled, it's bad for your brand and it's bad you know, in the eyes of Google, so. So in talking about these on-page SEO elements and other things, what are some SEO quick wins that you could recommend to companies who are just beginning or will be looking at now um, making improvements in their site structure? And um, one note, Kaylee, <laughs> with two Ys, um, could you uh, go into a little bit of detail about like structured data and how like your general type webmaster might approach that? What tools are available? That was really loaded two questions. <laughs> so structured data. Um, it really depends on the website platform that you have. Um, but we at our company build structured data into the platform level. So if you have that available to you, I would definitely leverage it. One second. There How many people here use WordPress? OK. So yeah. <laughs> I'll say I have been out of the WordPress game long enough that I'm not as familiar with the capabilities there and the plugins available, so I'll let an expert speak to that. Um, but the Google Structured Data Testing Tool is a really valuable one to start with. You can run your domain through there or individual subpages and understand what kind of structured data is already built in and available for you. Um, if your web provider does not include structured data, then you can utilize Google Tag Manager to pretty easily build structured data on a page-by-page -page level. Um, the value of structured data is it allows the web crawler to better understand the individual elements on your page. So for instance, 
I'll go to the car dealer analogy because that's the, the vertical I'm in. Um, I go to my vehicle search results page. So I've got all of my vehicles listed. I can have markup for the price of an individual vehicle. I can have MSRP, sale price, description, photo, all of these things that make it easier for the crawler to understand the content on an individual page and make it available to the searcher. So it really layers on to the valuable content you're writing, all of the basics that you're doing. Um, but as Google has started to retire some tools or make them less accessible, like Data Highlighter, that used to be a really easy one to go in and manually apply, right? This is my price, this is my image. Um, they're looking more to structured data because it's a more universal solution. Um, and there are good resources available online. I would check out schema.org. It has the entire hierarchy documented as to the way that structured data looks. And it's easy to start getting into as far as you can start looking at your company information, your hours, your location, that kind of thing as you build your skill set to write structured data and then get more specific if you want to start marking up product pages or that kind of thing. So for the 25% of you in the room that use WordPress, because 25% of the world's websites are on a CMS are powered by WordPress. So I say 25% of people in this room. The Yoast SEO plugin, uh, most people are probably familiar with and using. Um, that, the latest version, the latest build of that has some schema or structured data baked into it. Just know it's pretty base level. It's pretty elementary. It's, it's more about the product. It doesn't necessarily go super in depth. Um, I'm sorry, it's more about the, the company. It's, it doesn't go super in depth at a product catalog. If we were talking about optimizing a full product catalog and an e-commerce build, even if it was on WordPress, there's definitely more of a geeky science to it. And, and really even understanding structured data, like if you go to schema.org right now, it's going to look like a blast from about 1997. Just know that it's a legitimate resource. It's just written more from a developer level. Um, in terms of quick wins per Rebecca's discussion, I, I think we really highlighted it well was, Kaylee really talked about it a lot, was unique page content. So every page is different. We're not talking about the same things. Uh, your page titles are different. So your meta page titles are different. Your meta page descriptions are different or unique. Um, and that you're talking about the content at depth. Um, the other thing you can do too is if you're going through the process of either a web redesign um, or just major updates, that's obviously time to, to look at maybe doing an analysis or an audit or a content gap analysis to say, does this content fulfill and answer all of the questions that people are asking and looking for? Um, we may not need to have um, you know, one product page that has six different variation pages behind it when you can talk about all six of those on one page. You're looking to make that page the most authoritative uh, page possible for that product. Just understand you can have multiple variations and things like that within it. Two things. Uh, one of them uh, is that uh, it kind of depends on the sophistication of your brand's marketing efforts right now. I would say if you're just starting out and you're saying, okay, I need to do the SEOs, um, then <laughs> a, good, a good time to do, a good thing to do would just, uh, there's a free tool called Screaming Frog. I use that quite a bit. Um, just run a crawl of your site. It'll generate an Excel spreadsheet that has all of your metadata. Um, and you can see, okay, do I have title tags missing? Do I have meta descriptions missing? Do I have duplicate H1s across a couple of different pages? And so that's just a real quick, easy way to see at a really high level what's missing. Um, and so the quick wins would be to fill in that missing data. 
Um, on the more sophisticated side, I think, um, as a lot of you maybe have been doing content marketing, you've been writing, doing blogs, you maybe have a pretty well-developed kind of sitemap, um, there you want to look at perhaps the performance of your content to, as Jason mentioned, kind of look at how can you consolidate. Um, that's a real easy way to get a lot of quick wins as well. Um, Google cares about the relevancy and the recency of your content. So look at some of your old stuff, see what isn't getting any views or what isn't getting any engagement, and redirect it to a more relevant, more recent page um, to kind of clean up the clutter, but also then preserve that authority. Yeah, I think that was one of my things to go back to. If you're cleaning up the clutter, make sure you've got the 404 redirect set in there so that um, Google knows where to follow the content and you don't end up with a bad customer experience. Um, another one, I think, is if you've got content on your site that you know is performing very well, but maybe there's some dated, con dated content in it, um, look at going in and maybe just doing a few updates and tweaks to content that you've already got. That way you're not re you're repurposing what you have. You're not rewriting everything. Um, that can definitely give you a short-term gain there. All right, we have some questions. How would you recommend cleaning up old blogs on a website? Should I delete them, set up redirects, and how far back should you go? Do you have any recommendations for that process? Yeah, I, I would definitely encourage you to, I wouldn't delete them in the sense of like, you just don't use it anymore and you take it off the site. You wanna use a 3.0, you wanna use a, well, not even that. A lot of people do, oh, I'll just put it in draft and now no, people won't find it. Um, what you want to do is do a 301 redirect. Um, and what a 301 redirect does is it tells you this page is permanently moved somewhere else. And so that tells Google that if somebody does perhaps have a link or if Google finds a link somewhere on, on the web, they're going to go to that page that has that URL for the old content, but it's going to redirect them to a new page. So Google will see, oh, okay, this page is now this page, and so we're going to rank this page and pass that authority to this new page. And then users also don't have that bad experience of a 404 where they land on a page and it says, oh, nothing's here. Um, what happens is when a, when a user uses that URL, it moves them and redirects them to that new page as well. Yeah, and really just, I would look at the, the pages that you have and make a determination about whether you want to redirect them because maybe it's an old piece of content from 2013 and you, know, you went to a conference and you did a blog post about it. It's a little bit outdated, probably not really worth keeping. If it's a piece that's more of an evergreen topic, um, but it's just not performing well, then that might be a different situation where you would say, maybe I update the metadata here, maybe I develop it with some new fresh material and see if I can get the you know, rankings to boost or see if I get more traffic here, or maybe I reshare it on social to give it a little bit more life or something like that, take a different strategy. And that process can be real daunting, right? So if you have years of, of blogging material, if you will, behind you, I think asking yourself, okay, what, what is this content about? And this could be your blog, this could be product, service pages, is when you're going through that, you ask, what is this content? Who is it for? Who's the audience? Why does it exist? Like, what's the why? But then also understand and ask yourself, who values this? Like, what's the value to the company or the organization? Uh, and what's the value of this to the end user who's actually seeking this knowledge and this content out? Because if you can't kind of mark that up, then yeah, you absolutely should probably be reprioritizing what that content focuses. All right, next question. When removing old content, is there a value to setting a 301 redirect to a non-related topic if you don't have good matching content versus just redirecting to the homepage to avoid the 404, or does it really matter? Well, if it doesn't, if, if yes. Um, no, right? You, there is, there's little value to that. Now, if you look at something where there's absolutely zero answer, 
in terms of there's no uh, there's no apples to apples comparison, you know, Apple A to Apple B content, then ultimately it needs to go somewhere um, versus the 404. Um, now, there could be other ways to handle that as well. If there's duplicate page content, then we can get into canonical tags and that, that talk too. But, um, you know, if, if it doesn't make sense to put it anywhere else, then the homepage might in that situation have been the best place to send it. You know, you're gonna take a little bit of a hit because that content doesn't physically live anymore um, however, it might be better. It, it might be better in the end because it, to Dave's point, if that content had no value to begin with, redirecting it to the homepage might have been the best thing that you could do. Other questions? Yes. You mentioned that if your content is performing well, but it's old, does Google consider how old content is or just what the content says? Both. So yes, it, it is looking at how old the content is, but if the content is still relevant, um, and meaningful to the end consumer, then then that's not so bad. But I'm I was more referring to, and I'm just going to use this as an example. Like let's just say you've got a top ten list of places to visit West Michigan um, in the fall. Refreshing content like that, and that's an easy topic. But yeah, refreshing content like that gives it the freshness of um, seasonality. Whereas if you've got something that's about West Michigan, it's tried and true, and it's about Pictured Rocks, for instance, um, and you've got the best things to do at Pictured Rocks that might, you know, might stay evergreen. Any other questions? In regard to tracking structured data through UTMs, do you find that custom HTMLs are the best way to do that? That's been my experience. Um, we've had some recent success using FAQ structured data. It's unclear how long that will be a successful strategy. There's some conversation in the SEO world about that. Um, but yeah, that's typically what we've, the approach we've been taking. So getting fairly technical, this one's a little, little bit more of a softball, but um, what are your thoughts on SEO and pay-per-click? Like how do they go together? Does paid search support organic or what's your school of thought on there? How do they do the dance? I think paid search and SEO go together really, really well. I mean, think of paid search as essentially a sandbox for SEO. Um, you can take different headlines, different descriptions, different, I mean, anything, site links, and see how it performs, see what it does. And if you find something is getting really high click-through rates and conversions to your site, throw those in your title tags and meta descriptions. Um, I think the other really relevant thing there, um, you can only track in, you know, things like Moz and Raven and SEMrush, you can only track things that you think people are searching for for your, for your um, website. So, for instance, I'm in closet organizers. Um, so I might think people are searching just for closet organizers, but there might be some sort of long tail keyword out there that I'm not aware of. And I can go back into the search term results of my paid search account and see, you know, are people typing in whole phrases or are they searching specifically for my two word category? So I think that's, I think they, I think, I think to, to clarify on that too, so if anybody is, if you're familiar with Google Ads, the platform formerly known as AdWords, um, so there's a difference between what you're bidding on, in this case, closet organization is like this fathead term, general, versus the long tail, what you're gonna see in a search terms report, which is a different tab when you're looking at the keywords inside of a, an ad group or a campaign. You actually have to physically navigate there to get there. Most, um, most uh, practitioners are using that to see like, ooh, I need to, 
Um, I need to use negatives like free and online and discount because I really don't want my ads to show there I'm wasting ad spend, but there can be gems in there for long tail where it's like closet organization near Grand Valley, right? Just as a hypothetical. Now you look at that and say, hmm, interesting. I'm paying for that traffic right now. Now I put my organic search hat on and go and look for who's ranking for that type of term locally, near me, by me, et cetera, and say, is that valuable to me? The answer is yes, because if you're paying for that traffic now, then absolutely it's valuable. So you have a dollar figure that you could now apply to that keyword and how much that keyword is worth to you. So you sort that search terms list by conversions and take that information and go and see where you're ranking for those keywords organically. Answer your questions, yes, no, is this valuable to me? And if you're not ranking organically, then you're gonna go and take those terms and go get your traffic back. And stop, I don't wanna say stop paying for it, but you're gonna start to reduce your spend in those areas because organically you're gonna see lift over time. So they absolutely can go hand in hand with one another. Yeah, again, I think it, uh, it goes back to this idea of how sophisticated are your marketing efforts. I tend to, uh, a lot of the small businesses that I've worked with, um, I would take this, the opposite approach in some ways where you would start with organic because a lot of people can get content, you know, for free, you know, they can write their own material, things like that. And so then they see what works before throwing money at it. A lot of the things that I've been working with, like legal healthcare, those are really expensive keywords as well. So people don't want to throw six or $700 at a keyword at a click um, if they don't know if it's going to work or not, right? Um, so to me, I think organic is, the, is, is in some ways the proving ground, especially for smaller businesses who are kind of getting out, mostly because it's, it's more accessible to them. And then you see, okay, this is the content that's doing really well. Let's see if we can monetize that. Taking you backing on all of that a little bit, um, I think it goes further to increasing the efficacy of your overall marketing spend as well. If you're well optimizing the landing pages that you're driving traffic to, and increasing the page relevancy and the page quality score, you can, as a result, decrease your ad spend. You spend less on cost per click, as well as improving your organic search results for those same terms, eventually potentially being able to eliminate that ad spend altogether. But if you're using more of an omni-channel approach rather than siloed and saying, this is my SEO, this is my SEM, I'm keeping them in separate mind frames, you can really drive your own marketing messaging further. That's great. Thank you. Question. What are the best ways to show up on the first page of Google search results? And more particularly, how to show in the top three organic listing results? I think to clarify everything that we've primarily focused on is, is SEO related or organic or non-paid. So, so typically in, in the search engine results pages, the SERPs, your first three or four results are paid. And then below that is the organic ranking, exactly to your point of how do I go after that? You know, if I'm in a local market, you're gonna see a completely different uh, feature set there. You're gonna see maps or the local pack or the snack pack, depending on who you talk to and ask what that is. Then you're gonna see results even further on down there. In some situations, if you're asking it a question or it's technical related, you're gonna get the answer, which is the answer box or what we'll refer to as position zero. That's actually not position one. You could actually be ranked in position five and still have the featured snippet. So there's some rules to play with there. So, you know, I think ultimately, first and foremost, you want to say, uh, can I rank on the first page for this? And then start to, to see what you can do to, to work your way up. Yeah, and to your 
sort of like intimation about search behavior. There's some research out there that says 60% of people don't realize their ads, right? Um, and of course, there's also the, 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 the fact that less than 5% of Google searches result in an ad click anyway. Um, and so uh, Jason mentioned the long tail earlier, but that's, that's a really important part of, of SEO is thinking about the long tail because the long tail keywords, these longer keyword phrases that people are typing in, like when they're asking a complicated question or they're looking for something really specific, um, those are the types of queries that people are typing in and that you're going to want to focus on, especially on the organic side, because there is no competition and there's a lot less of those SERP features in there, right? So there aren't as many ads. There aren't, there isn't a, a three-pack logo pack with a map. There isn't a featured snippet. There isn't a, this is what people also Google um, and things like that. So that's something really important to think about too is people really think about those head terms and they think, oh, I really want to rank for closets. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but what you really want is, you know, like the best closet organizers in, you know, whatever your geography is or things like that. So think about those long tail phrases that are going to be closer to the end of the buyer's journey anyway. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that is really going to drive organic value for you. And if somebody's buying your name in paid search and it's in the headline and you are trademarked, I believe yep. trademark at googleads.com, report them. They'll take their ads down. They'll, I mean, they won't like cancel their account, but you will at least the ads that have your name in them will get taken down and they won't be able to use them anymore and the account will be flagged. Report them anyways. Yeah, just do it. When in doubt. So, Kaylee, to clarify, though, um, if it's your name as a keyword and their ad comes up, they, that's Difference. okay. So, I mean, Ish. I buy competitor keywords all the time. Right, but you However, can't have their name in the your name. ad. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, I can't say, um, I can't use the name, for instance, California Closets, which is one of our competitors. I can't use their name in my ads because they're trademarked. That's their name. I can't use it for any of my marketing. But you can say closet organization in California. I can get sneaky, sure. Right. <laughs> All right. Since we've talked about the snack pack and the, the local pack, can we talk a little bit about what, you know, companies who are, you know, driven by local business, what they can do with their website or local properties like their Google My Business page for local search? And, um, and how much that local search is a factor for them. Love Google My Business. Um, I would say if you're not actively optimizing your Google My Business profile, that would be the first place I would start once your website is not broken, essentially. So um, it is one of the number one local search indicators. There is a lot of opportunity, um, everything from creating posts, specials on Google My Business, um, Primary thing anyone wants to do straight out, out of the box is make sure your name, address, phone number, URL are correct and consistent in Google My Business and other directory listings across the web. And that phone number lives also on your website so that you're starting to create a consistent experience so that no matter where the consumer is looking for you, they're getting similar information. Um, but adding posts, you might think that's something for the social team, right? It's not. It's an SEO rankings factor all day long making sure that your GMB is showing up in the SERP is really important. Um, we recently went through a big effort to connect Google My Business data into our insights platform because one of the things that you don't often think is, I'm looking at my organic data in Google Analytics or whatever you prefer to track it in, and I'm seeing 
the click-throughs and I'm seeing how traffic is driving experience on site, but what you might not be considering is a lot of consumers, especially those on mobile devices, they're looking for you and they're seeing it in their map which is being driven by Google My Business, or they're on their mobile device and they're not gonna click through because your phone number is showing up in the local pack or Google My Business and they can click right through and call you. So it's really important to consider the impact that has on your business and continue to treat it as another web property and extension of your website. So I would take advantage of all of the features within it. Um, you're not gonna get it to pop unless you're showing up in the number one position. So making sure that your website is also driving that experience is really important. But I would say that's one of the biggest things you can do as a local business. So Jason and I have actually had this conversation before um, about Google My Business. I am just as adamant as Kaylee is, like, optimize the heck out of your Google My Business page. It is very, very important, um, not only for that page for you to show up in the maps, but it's, it's a, does wonders for your SEO, and I'm pretty sure Google kind of came out and said that this year with a couple of their algorithm updates. Um, one thing that's interesting, in case you're ever curious about what kind of traffic, so Google My Business traffic flows in as organic traffic onto your website. Um, and there's really not an easy way to parse it out, so what we've done, and it's been a little bit of a daunting task because I did it with um, our dealer network, so 40 different Google My Business pages, is go through and actually put UTM tags um, on the click-through links for all of the dealers' websites. Mm -hmm. So this is just allowing me to see how much of my organic traffic, and essentially a lot of times branded traffic, a huge chunk of it, um, is coming from Google My Business. And I, in the last two months, 30% of the organic traffic to all of our website, or to the whole website, has been from Google My Business postings mm -hmm. or links. So um, that's one thing. One more thing link your Google My Business to your paid search. Mm -hmm. um, by doing that, you're allowed to show directions to your website. The phone number is more prominent. Um, I'm trying to think of what else is in there. Just, just different, just, yeah, just a few more, more space for you to take up in real your estate. ad. Yeah, you get more real estate essentially with um, adding your Google My Business if you're showing up in the top positions. So you have to think of... Uh... Think of Google My Business almost as your new homepage, if local search is important to you. Um, you know, if 60% if of searches are done mobily now, over 60%, 50% of those have some local intent to them. And we can almost argue that almost every search has some level of local intent to it, strictly based off of where we're located. I'm looking for a product, I'm looking for a service. Most people prefer it near them. So you're looking for directions, you're looking for that product, you're looking for that service, you're looking for that company. So this is very important. Even if we're looking to optimize on a national or international level, owning that space is extremely important. Um, to Kaylee's point, um, so use UTM tracking codes. So instead of just putting your website in there, you can use UTM tracking codes to, to show that as campaign data in Google Analytics, that that is actually uh, Google Map traffic coming in. Um, there was an instance in the spring where they were going to do away with that, but it's still a fair play, so you can do that. Uh, for those of you who care about call tracking, um, to other Kaylee's point, especially dealers and things like that, most of them are dialed into this, but a lot of people want to use a call tracking service because um, if I just look on my phone and do click to call, I, my organic team never gets the win for that, right? Where if you're using a service like CallRail or something like that, it's totally a fair play to use, and you can use that number as your primary. 
There's a secondary phone number option in Google My Business. You just want to make sure that that is also your local number is included in there too. So it associates name, address, phone number still with your local number. So there's a little bit of a, and I would call that a fairly white hat. Mm -hmm. There's a really great article on searchengineland.com um, that lays out like some of the basic best practices yeah. um, for Google My Business and what you should be doing. So if anybody's interested or has further questions about it, I think that's a really great resource for you. Searchengineland.com. We can list a bunch of resources yeah. for local too. I have only one thing to add. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, also, just keep in mind that your post does disappear. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think it's what, it's five days? Seven. Seven. seven now? Yeah. yeah, okay. So after seven days, that post that you post on your Google yeah. My Business listing disappears from the results. So make sure that you're staying current with that, you know, essentially. And you could even post the exact same thing a second time, like, a, you know, if there's, a, if there's a core service area or something that you're trying to, to get people to go to, go ahead, post it again. Uh, you're going to get more traffic to that from your Google My Business listing. Nice. Josh. For your name and business listing, is Moz still a thing? And how does that tie into SEO? Yeah, well, there's, well, there's multiple tools that you could use, right? So from, from free to paid, I mean, I could rattle off a bunch, but Moz Local is definitely a really great tool. So moz.com forward slash local should get you there. You can do check a listing, so you shouldn't have to pay for it. You can put your uh, address in there, zip code. Uh, my suggestion is that if it gives you an auto-suggest that possibly is, this is a little bit of a hack of their system, is that if it, if it brings up your, your business name, don't click on that. Just, I want you to put your address in there, your zip code, and hit check my listing. And it'll give you some preliminary feedback based on like um, how accurate the data is, uh, are there duplications, inconsistencies, <laughs> things of that nature. And then we could go like super deep in the weeds on things that like the team in WhiteSpark, some of their tools, um, Local Falcon, and a bunch of other stuff like that we use. But you start to get like real nerdy. Um, at that at that level yeah. and ironically enough uh, a really good chunk of uh, your local like hardcore local SEO experts are Canadian for some of those who might not be following along because it took me a second to connect the dots um, what Josh was asking is and, and Kaylee had mentioned earlier that um, optimizing and collecting all of your local search results so your yellow pages and other directories where you might show up and say I never listed my business there, but you know, Google bots and other things scrape them and they show up there. So moz.com slash local is one way to check and verify your listings because the more consistent they are across all these directories and you claim them, the better it is. So Moz local is one as all the other ones that, that Jason rattled off. That's where that came from. Any other question? If you don't serve your customers at a local business, how should you claim your local Google business listings? Called a service area business, so that's what you that's what you can register it under. And even if uh, even if your location isn't open yet, you could go in and claim it as a service area business. And then when your physical address opens up, you can flip it to a physical uh, address uh, as well. Let's say you have a home base office. I know it feels a little weird, or you have a because you can't use a PO box, but you can put you, you have to have an address tied to it, so it's going to be your home base. Just know that if you do it as a service area. Um, it won't show your address. Yes, question back there. We're headquartered in Grand Rapids, but we have sales reps in Ohio, Indiana, and the Great Lakes region. How should we register our Google business listing, and can we claim a service area? So you have sales reps in those areas. Yeah, you absolutely can um, do it as a service area, especially for those in, I think it's 
finance lawyers, I'm looking to Dave now, big changes. Um, it used to be if you were like that level practitioner, you couldn't claim a service area and now you can. So I would totally go after that if I was a sales rep. And another hack on that is that <laughs> if you have, say, multiple locations and they're geographically separated by, I don't know, like 15 miles or so, you should absolutely have a location page for each one of those built into your site and link your Google My Business listing for that location back directly to that, not to your homepage. Link it back to that location page. All right. So would you recommend registering the home addresses of the sales reps in each service area? No, use the one location address, the, the home base. Yeah, the headquarters, and then add in those service areas. But like Jason said, if you're going to add in those service areas, we would really recommend that you have an individual page speaking to those service areas. Not only is it great for the Google My Business, but if you've got the content to put on those pages that speak to that local area, it's going to help you in your organic rankings um, as well. And by no means, don't take that as like spamming either. Like don't create best SEO agency Grand Rapids, best SEO agency Holland, best SEO agency Muskegon, and throw them out there as orphan pages with no links in your navigation to it. Like have, do it, move forward in a legitimate fashion. So we've been talking a lot about Google. Is Google the only search engine that we should be concerned about? How does a company ensure their website is relevant for all search engines? So let's be real. Google is like the Mac Daddy of the world. There, there okay. is nobody else. We can just stop there. I'm yeah. just kidding. It's, it's, I mean, everybody it, it really is. Anyway. So I mean, the fact is that if you're doing well on Google and you're doing all the best practices for Google, you're probably doing them well for Bing and Yahoo and I don't even know. Yeah, that, that's you know, Bing, Ask.com, DuckDuckGo. Duck, yeah, duck, I mean, go, yeah. Um, the reality is, ask Jeeves, I just heard that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the reality is, is they're so far behind what Google is with their algorithms that if you're doing best practices with Google, they're trying to just follow Google. So you're probably in, no? No, no, I, I oh. would agree. On the local level, don't ignore Bing. Right. You want to claim it like a Bing local listing because Bing is used by others. Um, you can thank Apple and their, you know, first to market speaking technology, which is Siri. And I bashed people in our office this morning on Apple Maps, but it's always kind of had some level of tie-in with Bing. Uh, the um, Yelp also pulls a lot of their reviews from, uh, or Bing, Bing and Yelp have a relationship. Just know that. So, so yes, Google. However, understand who your people are. One more point on that. I would suggest optimize for device or browser and not search engine. If for some reason 90% of your traffic is using Internet Explorer, right? Ouch. Yeah. It, it, we don't see it that high that often, but sometimes there are older users that are going to be using an older browser and your site is going to load more slowly or certain elements might break. That's important to recognize and make sure you're optimizing towards that versus, I mean, like you said, Google is going to be Google is going to be Google, but understand how your users are reaching your site um, from a device or platform perspective. And if you make changes to your website, check all internet browsers, like she just said, because um, Explore, oftentimes when you think you've done something really cool and really awesome to your website, it breaks and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So you've got to find ways to, to fix that. 
Do you, are you aware of any tools that can help you check that or do you just have to go check in the individual browsers? You have to go into the individual browsers and oftentimes make sure you clear your cookies and or look in an incognito search because if you've been to the website multiple times, um, yep. you're just going to see Store what you stuff. saw before. Mm -hmm. Clear your cookies, clear your cache, clear it all. Yep. So on that, um, how have you seen mobile first and mobile search um, impact your websites and your clients? What can others do to make sure their site is good to go? I guess it's sort of related to what we were just talking about in that um, you sh uh, obviously you should have a site that's mobile optimized. Like I don't think anyone's going to debate that. Um, but do definitely look at where your traffic is coming from. Um, you know, with the, a lot of the lawyers that I've worked with, it's primarily desktop still, like 70% desktop. Um, some technology, you know, I think technology is going to be an industry where you're going to see a lot of desktop use because people are you know, at work and they're using their desktops at work, or their laptops, which are also desktops. And, and so then they are gonna use that, that that's gonna be their primary experience. And so um, just think about your users, make sure it's mobile optimized, but but make sure you're thinking about your users before you're thinking about, oh, I have to make it mobile, I gotta make it for mobile, or it needs to be mobile first design. Might not need to be mobile first design depending on your industry. Just something to think about. Um, adding on to that, I think that's a really good point. Um, and a responsive website is gonna be really important. I think site load speed is gonna be one of your biggest factors. We've done some studies recently around that. Um, how quickly does your website load on mobile? Is there anything you can pull out of that? Because that's going to be a ranking factor for you. Um, how well optimized is your site for someone scrolling through? Because user engagement is going to be a factor in the way that your site gets displayed. If 90% of your users are bouncing from your homepage because it took so slow to load, or if you're getting penalized because you have an intrusive pop-up, those are all things that can impact your performance um, and is relevant both to mobile and desktop, but I think it becomes more and more important as you look at your mobile usership going up. So, we live in the world of mobile-first index, though, right? So to not go completely against what Dave is talking about. So it goes back to understanding, uh, looking at by device, by browser, where your users are coming from. Just because you have a high traffic source of desktop users doesn't necessarily mean that you should turn a blind eye to mobile. And the reason is, is that also might be an indication that you have a poor mobile experience and you have some work to do. You might get more mobile users there if your site was a little bit more mobile friendly and easier to navigate and you kind of check all the boxes from a mobile perspective. We're also in a mobile first index, meaning for a long time, Google ran a desktop index, meaning so if we think of an index as a massive database or a library of, of sites and content, they ran one for desktop, they ran one for mobile, right? And they are two, they're two completely separate um, pieces. We're now in a mobile first world where let's say you go and spool up a brand new website tomorrow. So new domain has zero history, nothing. It will not ever live in the desktop index. It will be indexed in the mobile first only. And that's, you can look it up. Google said like, this is what we're going to do. Um, it's representative of how the majority of their searchers are using the engine now. So if over 60% of searches are done mobily, Google said, we need to have an engine and a database that is more representative of our users. And that's the direction that they're using and looking at moving forward. So um, when it comes down to design and development um, and the hierarchy and how you want things to interact when you're working with UX, UI, um, really be conscious and think about how is this going to be thumbable? 
uh, selectable, that type of thing as you go through those redesign processes. Great. Flippy boxes. Don't, don't, do, fl <laughs> don't do flippy boxes. Oh, darn it. Just kidding. Um, so in looking at mobile first, and we talked a lot about content, site structure, site speed, certainly. Um, are there any other top factors you'd recommend that impact site ranking? I don't know if we've talked outside of local listings, the impact your backlink profile has on your yes. website. Um, becoming a trustworthy website that Google wants to send traffic to can be influenced by, do you have other trustworthy websites pointing to you? Um, there are a lot of different ways that you can gather links in a white hat way. So any publication that publishes something about you, if they don't create a link to your business or to your website in their article, do outreach and make sure that they create a link because a news source is going to be a pretty trustworthy source of information. Um, get into directory listings. Make sure that you are in yellow pages. There are tools out there like Yext where you can push out to trustworthy listings in a really scaled and easy way, but you can also just dedicate some time going in manually entering your information. I think that's a really valid and important ranking factor outside of the content um, and the structured data and all of that. The off-page profile is something that I consider to be really important as well. That's a great point. I actually read an article on Search Engine Land as well that even brand mentions can be a ranking signal for search engines, whether they're necessarily linked or not, but certainly those white hat links. Yeah, so not to confuse link building, like there are some totally dirty tactics in link mm -hmm. building, right? And that is probably what gives SEO a bad reputation still in 2019 and moving forward. So um, when you are getting those links built back to you, you want to make sure that um, it is your brand. It's not, again, best SEO company in Grand Rapids linking back to Black Truck Media. I want it very much to be the brand mention. The other thing, too, is more and more the authority of those sites. So the types of content that it's associated with or the types of, of, of companies and organizations it's associated with, and this plays into this YMYL update and whatnot, is that if I'm a healthcare provider and I have a physician that writes a piece of content that then gets a mention on Mayo Clinic, even if I don't get the link back, the fact that that physician is mentioned by Mayo Clinic, which is seen as like this really high regarded source online for, for health, that alone, that's that brand mention that Rebecca was talking about, that, that alone too is probably very forward thinking, like right there, some things you need to be thinking about, if, to Dave's point, like depending on where you're at in your, in your Marcom strategy. And I think one more important thing that we kind of touched on earlier, and I think you did um, in regards to video and images on your website, it goes back to kind of the unique content factor of everything. But having images and video on your website that are unique to you and say something, Google is creepy. It can read all of those images. It can crawl all of those videos. It knows what they are. So if you have great imagery or great videos, share it all over, not only on your site, but share them on Facebook and Instagram and, and all over so that Google can start correlating, um, correlating that all back to one another. So. You mentioned not using flippy boxes on websites, which is understandable on mobile platforms, but can you use them on desktop versions and hide them on a mobile? Yeah, I would just, in any, any of the design and UX, UI stuff that you're thinking about, I would just make sure you're thinking about that on mobile and desktop. And so flippy boxes are a classic example of like, on desktop, they're really cool because you hover over them and then they show you information and then they reveal information. On mobile, they're a nightmare 
because they either can't, they, they, they just don't function, mm -hmm. or you have to click them, and then you can't click the actual links that you're trying to get to. And, and so it's just, it's a very frustrating experience on mobile that, that drives people away versus on desktop where it's like, oh, this is neat. And so that's where I think this, you know, the mobile first design is, is important to think about with the user experience. Um, also, because we're talking about mobile being the most important thing for, yeah, for, for SEO and thinking about page speed in particular. So. We started designing a web page with flippy boxes. Is there anything we can use to replace them that also works well on mobile, or should we just eliminate the flippy boxes altogether? Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> just yeah. yes. So one thing that usually what we what I've done in the past is rethought the format, you know, yeah. to kind of avoid that stuff. Um, you know, think about okay, maybe it's an icon and a heading and some information, right? So it's a box still, but it, it gives you all the information versus having to interact with it to get the full picture. Um, and so that's usually my approach is to say, okay, let's have a unified experience. So if someone is on mobile and then they switch to desktop, they're gonna see the same thing. Um, it doesn't look like a totally different site. Um, right. So that, that's kind of also part of the equation, but everybody else might have better suggestions. I was gonna say, I've seen also in like the, the header, I mean, is it in the header? In like your, is it your hero image that's no. flipping? You could do like a scrolling content box where you've got three or four different images that are scrolling so you've got your first mm -hmm. one but what would be the flip potentially have it like scroll as opposed to clicking and flipping here's here's one reason to maybe do away with it altogether. okay is that if it's done with any kind you of guys just stop we're talking about the same side okay <laughs> just that we'll sidebar conversation if, hold on hold on this is we're important running if, out it's, of time. if it's done with javascript right if it's done with javascript <laughs> just keep in mind google can't get through that Google is not going to crawl that, even though people are going to say that it can. If you view your site without JavaScript on, that's going to be a clear indication as to what you want there and what you don't. We hear you. <laughs> I like how it goes, people. <laughs> that's okay. That's why we work together. Love it. Um, so one, hand up for one other question, then we've got to wrap it up. Yes. Is ADA compliance important, and how does it tie into SEO? ADA compliance. Good question. Uh, get on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, does it tie into SEO? Um, loosely with, say, image alt tags, right? Like, that's usually where most of us go, and that's, like, the first step. But the audit process is even completely different. Like, uh, we've worked with it uh, with a couple of our clients who have used third-party vendors to do it. Um, but... I think uh, much like GDPR and everything, until it until the hammer actually drops, nobody has a clue as to what the impact's going to be if you get nailed for it. So, if you're in an industry that is of higher profile, I would strongly encourage you start thinking about it. Yeah. Do we know what the implications will be for not being compliant? No, but there's you know some lawyers and ambulance Money. chasers yeah. that that will come after you. I mean, as far as GDPR goes, for instance, I don't think there's really been anything thus far since that happened that has really given anybody an indication of what's going to happen in the U.S. once something like that is enabled or how it will impact us. But those with, you know, sites that do business internationally in the U.S., we care. <laughs> yes, we all do, whether we know it or not. I think specifically for those, if you look at California and Nevada, they're pushing out some privacy acts, right? And if you are doing any sort of business that does store consumer data and might leverage it in your marketing efforts, whether it's email marketing down the road, Facebook targeting, right? Like 
that's something to start being aware of because more states are rolling out that legislation and creating the opportunities for consumers to say, I want you to delete my data from all of your sources, tell me you did it and tell me what data you had stored of me. So that's something to keep in mind. I don't know that that's going to impact organic right away, but um, I think that impacts your overall marketing strategy and getting ahead of that now, start thinking of how you might be ready to purge that data and how you might be ready to run marketing efforts when you don't have the level of granularity that we have today um, is something to get in front of before we're in the same position here in Michigan. That's great. All right, we're just about 105, so we'll have to wrap it up. I really thank everyone for coming. Uh, you will see a survey with feedback from today's luncheon, and those who complete the survey do get $5 off the next event registration. If you have any other questions, feel free to tweet at us, contact us via our website, and our panelists will be around for a few more minutes. So thank you again for coming, and we'll see you next month. All right, and that wraps up our SEO Smackdown, the uh, 3.0 edition. It didn't get too rowdy there. No, Megan. not too bad. No punches. But some good info. No I punches thrown or no anything punches. like that. Yeah, they had the little toys at the table, you know. That oh, they, they did play. have yeah. the little box. What's the name of that game? The, <gasps> the pun Is it Punching Game? I, well, yeah, it's the old 90s punching yeah. game. Matt, rock, rock em, sock em. There you go. That's what it is. Yeah, okay. Yes. All right, well, and again, thanks to our podcast sponsor, Open System Technologies, our gold sponsors, MyBiz and Vizcom Media, silver sponsors, Bird and Bird Studio, Pageworks, and Red 66 Marketing, and our bronze sponsors, our full attention, and GVU Conference and Event Planning. Um, they've got some really good desserts, those cookie bars. They do a good job at the that we had last year we need to bring those back <laughs> um the podcasts are great but listen if you don't come to the lunch you don't get all that good food it's true it's true i'm just saying all right uh so megan up next on our lunch schedule and also our corresponding next marketers in motion podcast yeah so october uh as i mentioned before we're bringing back michael barber he's gonna talk all things email marketing he has probably one of the best titles that i've seen in a long time so i gotta read this Bloody hell, the convergence of content, email, and my British mom. I cannot wait. So he's talking about how email isn't necessarily the sexiest marketing topic. We all know this, nor is it the most fun. But if it is done well, it can lead to some of the best ROI of any tactic in your marketing plan. So we're going to join Michael and, of course, his British mom as he explores some of the best and most practical ways to improve our email marketing. And so we know we've had Michael on the podcast before. He's just incredibly talented and knows his stuff. And so we're excited to have him back in person for the luncheon. Um, and the details and tickets and all of that is on our website, amawestmichigan.org. Um, but he will join us then for the podcast afterwards to do a deeper dive. And he also is a big Harry Potter fan. He's a Harry Potter so fan. come with your questions uh, if you... If you want to know anything more about that. All right. As always, don't forget to subscribe to our Marketers in Motion podcast on your favorite app, whether it be iTunes or Stitcher, SoundCloud, rate, review, share our podcast, get the word out there and help us spread the word of all of these great ideas. Connect, inspire, get out there and do it, Megan. Done. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. 
The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative. Be bold. Set your marketing in motion.